0: My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our program will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined on today's show by Lee Mannion, communications guru and former journalist. Um, He's currently head of communications at Expert Impact and co-founder of Expert Impact Speakers, managing communications for the world's first social enterprise speakers agency. Lee, very warm welcome to yourself, and thanks ever so much for joining us on the show. It's a pleasure having you with us.
1: Well, thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, I don't get invited to speak on many podcasts, so I appreciate the invite. Thank you. Looking forward to our conversation,
0: and I appreciate you being willing to engage with us on this, uh, Lee, as well. I'm really looking forward to sort of hearing your perspectives today. Um, Before we kind of delve into sort of leadership in a broader sense, um, I wanted a little bit more of an idea just for those listeners that might not be familiar with you, as to sort of the work that you do, because. uh, I've obviously given a very brief outline as to what Expert Impact is, but perhaps you could sort of expand on that for us and just tell us a little bit more.
1: Yes, I can indeed. Um, So Expert Impact started as a charity in 2014. And essentially what we do is we match the leaders of charities and social enterprises with uh, people who've done very, very well in business. Uh, We call these people our experts, and they're matched with the charity and social enterprise leaders as mentors. We have about 80-plus of these experts now. Um, you will have heard of some of them. So um, Tim Smith, who runs the Eden Project down in Cornwall. Uh, Carrie Longton, who's one of the three co-founders of Net, And Charles Dunstan, who um, started Carphone Warehouse and now heads up uh, Talk Talk. We've got people of a really good caliber, and they volunteer their time to um, help leaders we call them social entrepreneurs i hope everyone on your podcast is familiar with that with that term but help the social entrepreneurs to grow their social enterprise or charities so that they can effectively make more impact in whatever area they're working in um, to add a little bit to that we were previously um, funded by donations by grant funding and um, the great irony was that we were supporting social enterprises mostly so businesses that work for a positive social or environmental good they all sell uh, services or products, and we were trying to work out what we could sell. Um, and then we realized we had all this knowledge, not only the 18 or so experts, but also the 500 or so social entrepreneurs who used our service. And we realized there was a speaking circuit, and so we started an event speakers agency. So now we provide keynote speakers, motivational speakers, hosts, entertainers, and all the profits from that expert and tech speakers are used to fund the mentoring charity.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Certainly it all makes sense sir, from my perspective. And um, given that your sort of background sort of lay in sort of journalism, uh, did you kind of always know that moving into communications was going to ultimately be your pathway or did you sort of fall into it accidentally?
1: i to be honest, I kind of fell into it. Yeah, I, I had spent four years as a journalist and I'd been writing about, Social enterprises in all of that time um, and then I went to work for the Thompson Reuters Foundation which was a good experience but I found that um, it's quite a high pressure situation you're probably familiar with Reuters and mm. big newsroom and all that kind of thing um, I should confess that I'm not a trained journalist so I became a journalist by essentially writing about social enterprises and being very passionate about it and then then picked up the jobs because of that um, okay. So I came out of uh, the Thompson Reuters Foundation, and then um, I had quite a few social enterprises in my contact book, and I just let everyone know that I was available, and the communications job became available at expert impact.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And um, obviously your sort of area of expertise, let's say, given sort of your journalistic background and also your experience with expert impact, it lies in sort of storytelling, doesn't it? That sort of helps brands sort of become easily identifiable and sort of manage campaigns. And I think the importance of storytelling in sort of making brands sort of more easily identifiable in that way and sort of getting their name out there, does that have to be intrinsically linked to purpose do you think and I asked that question because recently on this program I spoke to a risk expert and they put to me this idea that purpose is now an integral part of risk management when it comes to businesses and any organization really trying to be successful planning for the future mitigating risk you always have to make sure the why is very very clear Um, is that something that you would align yourself with
1: I mean, I hope that one day all businesses will be purpose-led businesses. But I mean, you also have to be very careful about greenwashing. I mean, mm. you know, most most mainstream business is, is there to make a profit and then to do something with that profit quite often to, you know, give that to shareholders who've invested. Um, social enterprise is a very different beast. But I mean, I think what's happened in the last, maybe decade, maybe a bit more than that, is that um, basically big business is perceiving that customers want to see that companies are acting properly. Um, and we can see this at the moment. There's a very sort of live conversation about you know, massive profits being made by all companies basically on the back of a huge amount of suffering in Ukraine. Um, so... Shell and BP would probably have a fairly hard job to convince people that they are a purpose-led company at this point. Um, Had they said that they were going to give one of their 8 8 billion, I think it was, quarterly profits to Ukrainian charities or that they were going to, for example, spend 50% of all of that money creating alternative energy, windmills, solar farms, then that may make their brand sit more easily
0: with customers. They say. Yeah, I certainly see where you're coming from there. And again, this kind of links back to a discussion uh, that I've had on the uh, the program before where sometimes when you are a business, uh, you're maybe a an entrepreneur, startup entrepreneur who's got your business to a point where it's starting to scale up. At some point, if you grow exponentially, perhaps you are a purpose led business, but there's always a danger of kind of crossing a threshold where all of a sudden your purpose becomes prioritizing shareholder return, say you go public for instance, rather than what you were initially established for. And so, no matter how much your business model changes, I guess purpose always has to kind of be at the forefront, doesn't it, in that sense?
1: I think if you want customers to think well of you, then it has to be a consideration at least. But I mean, as I said, greenwashing doesn't fit well with people either, I think. Mm. And um you know if you sell cakes for a living and that's what you're there for, then that's the first thing. We always say with every social enterprise, it's always the product or the service first. Generally you can't compete by saying same with us as a speakers agency. We to an extent people like the fact that we give our profits to to the charity. But, um, you know, primarily we have to sell on the quality of our service. So it's service first. We have to be a good speakers agency. We have to provide people with good speakers. We have to give, give them a good experience, a professional experience. Um, if you sell cakes, then be happy about selling cakes. But there are other things you can do. So, you know, make sure your organization is diverse. Maybe think about profit sharing. If you are a company that's going to go public and have shareholders, there are things like the B Corp certification now, which means that you are focused on profit, but not solely profit, that you want to do the right thing in terms of people and planet, essentially. So there are ways to do it. I mean, really big companies like Unilever have pursued the B Corporation um, accreditation, as have you know banks like Coots
0: mm.
1: and Danone, the big dairy companies from France. So there's ways to do it. And I think, I think customers or the general public just want to see that companies have ethics uh, and that they behave well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's certainly become more evident since the uh, the pandemic, hasn't it? We've seen consumer spending habits shifting, but we've also seen when people are sort of sat working in businesses or even looking for prospective job opportunities they're far more aware of, you know, why am I here? What is the, uh, the purpose of this business? What are its CSR policies, for instance? Does that align with my view on things? People's priorities are changing and business leaders are under pressure, aren't they, to move with the times because consumer spending habits are changing, workers' priorities are changing, and if you don't move with that, the wave, let's say, ultimately you're going to end up losing out one way or another.
1: Yeah, I think if you don't at least make an effort to behave in a responsible fashion as a company, uh, if you don't stand for certain things, uh, then I think you in the coming years will be left behind. I mean, everyone is, everyone on the planet, all companies, all people are facing, you know, an existential threat from climate change. So there is that to consider. You know, there is a generation of people coming out of college now that, will be having very possibly challenging lives because of the climate in you know, less than 30 years. So if they perceive that their working lives don't want to sound too negative, but maybe shorter, mm. then they probably want to work. mean, have their work mean something during that time.
0: Absolutely. Uh, that certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective. And just sort of taking the conversation back onto something we covered earlier, and it's about sort of, trying to align everything with the purpose and the why um business leaders obviously need to have an ability to do that to make sure that retention is strong in what is a difficult recruitment environment right now i mean they need to be very very clear about the purpose and they need to make sure that everybody is very much on board with that and sort of happy and enjoys a good positive mental well-being in what they're doing as well there's that fulfillment there there's that progression pathway um there's a lot that we Mm -hmm. could go into uh, with that but um in order to sort of really get that message across effectively and make sure that everybody sort of is pulling in the same direction, do you think it's imperative that business leaders need to be good speakers to be good communicators? Or do you think it's a bit more complicated than that?
1: I mean, I think it's pretty essential if you're a CEO uh, or someone in, in suite, uh, a company that you you have a good grasp of public speaking. It might not be your favorite thing do but it's something that you can learn particularly when you get to a certain level your company might you know pay for you to learn how to do it better than you're doing it currently um, and yeah I, I'm, leaders are people at the end of the day you know a lot of them have families they have children so they know something about behaving responsibly the other thing to say is that quite rightly you know bad behavior gets exposed by the media so we may think or some people may think that a lot of Big business is just irresponsible and doesn't behave well. But uh, I think there is more and more of a movement. I mean, you know, I I have friends who used to work for the Bank of England, for example, and there's there's a lot of movements within the Bank of England, which I think is like a 400 old institution, um, to be more progressive, to be more inclusive, to think about the diversity of their workforce, to think about the well-being of their workforce, to think about things like uh, you know equal pay equal gender pay, to be supportive of women through the menopause, all these different things. And I think that just means that business isn't this cold, profit, you know, hungry entity. It means that, you know, people are cared for, even if, you know, that company is primarily in the pursuit of profit.
0: Yeah, biz- businesses need to be very clear on its purpose, doesn't it, as we've, as we've established. But do, do you think that there maybe is a little bit of a perception or a misconception rather that maybe business is just all about money? And that maybe is why we're seeing sort of an, an, like a lot of negative attitudes towards business and a lot of sort of clamouring for, you know, sort of higher business rates, more taxation. And maybe that's driven by what we're seeing sort of in the energy market at the moment. Like we say, we mentioned Shell, we mentioned BP. Um, do you think that that is... Reflecting negatively on business at large.
1: I mean, we have to be honest, you know, money is useful to all of us. Um, And we live in a capitalist society. So that is driven by shareholders and profits and, you know, an ever increasing arc upwards of growth, which in my mind is kind of slightly nonsensical because nothing really grows forever. But I mean, I, I... I think that what what do I think that a lot of people think about this? You know, they're a good and bad businesses, and I think we all know who they are. But I think BP you know, companies like BP and Shell are saying as little as possible as they can because they know if they say more they'll be criticized for it. They always say that excuse me, when they make uh eight million pounds that you know, they need that to reinvest in future technologies, which is great. But I mean they never take follow-up questions so how much of that eight billion are you going to spend on follow-up technology when could we see the move away from oil and gas how long we, how long is it going to take you so they're the questions they really need to answer and i think i think if businesses are you know profit driven which the majority of businesses in the world are that's fine but just have some transparency uh, and you know, be honest, really, I think essentially. I think that will even if you can't say that you're a you know, hundred percent purpose-led company. Then just be honest, be transparent. Be be as be as open as you can be and behave as well as you can.
0: And that sort of authenticity and that transparency, I think we need to see that in sort of our leaders as well, don't we? I think and I think showing that sort of that vulnerability let's say because we also have to acknowledge that in leadership roles we're never the finished article and we're never infallible in our decision making i think that sort of commands more respect from your colleagues and the people that you work with when we're thinking about retention in a tough recruitment environment that's something that's actually going to be sort of quite critical even if you sort of don't think that it is
1: absolutely i mean i've worked under leaders who you know behave like they're sort of uh you know, the, the sort of uh, alpha males, let's say, in the room, and, you know, that they are super strong, they can work 16 hours a day, they never have any doubts about any decisions that they make. They're, you know, leading from the front. But, I mean, I'm very suspicious of people like that. I think some people are very driven, some people have a lot of energy, but I, I sort of think I, I do want a leader who's going to, you know, be passionate and, and you know, in Motivate me and make me excited about working with them, but I think some vulnerability is always really attractive you know to to know that that person's still human to know that they might have anxieties or worries to that they might sometimes doubt their decisions. i mean I have interviewed many leaders as a journalist many many of them say employ people that are better than you you know if you have skills that are lacking, no leader can be good at anything. I think the really good leaders understand that, and that well they they believe in a team essentially you know they They might be happy to be at the forefront of that, and they might need to. They want they want to direct that team, but they're just smart enough to know that they can't do everything, and they need good people around them.
0: I think that's very true, and I think um, that sort of acknowledgement of you know sort of vulnerability. I'm not good at everything, um, and that openness. It also is something that drives toward positive mental health and well-being in the workplace. And I think that's certainly something that very fortunately has more emphasis and more importance placed upon it, um, particularly so since the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And is that something that you'd also agree with as well, Lee, that, you know, mental health and well-being in the workplace is crucial and should be a real hallmark of sort of what leaders prioritise?
1: Yeah, I think it's so positive that in the last 10 years, you know, it's it's become much more of an open conversation. Um. And, yeah, of course, if you work, you know, again, I have worked for leaders who basically wanted me to keep working until I I dropped um, and didn't really care about my well-being because they were just either, you know, part of a bigger machine or they were the kind of person that, you know, just thought, okay, well, if this person doesn't think they can handle the job, that's fine. They'll leave. I can find someone else. I think it's it's far I, I would put more into my work if I know that the person I'm working for cares about about me and about, you know, how my my health and my well being, yeah, of course. Mm.
0: Brings the best out in people, doesn't it, when you know that you're that you're cared for. Um, and of on the, on the inverse of that, I suppose, is that You know, if people don't feel like their value, not just for their contribution, but also as people, you'll get bare minimum effort, won't you? And this is where you sort of get those those kind of quiet quitters, isn't it? And it's a trap that's quite easy to fall into, I suppose, from a leadership perspective, because you almost create that culture and that environment from what you don't do rather than things that you openly do wrong. It's sort of not having the effort or putting the effort in rather to go and have these conversations with people to make things clear, to show gratitude that sort of snowballs and creates these situations, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see things on that really. One, I think, um, you know, I've worked with people in the past where you only were told or got feedback when you did something wrong. And I think, you know, definitely praising people when they did something is, is really important. But also I just think there has to be an acceptance that people are complex and if you have, you know, any team that's bigger than three or four people, you might have somebody who's very extrovert, you might have somebody who's very introvert. Um might you might have somebody who is very vulnerable and is, you know, able to show a sort of more genuine part of their self, more authentic part of their self. And may be other people who want to keep their guard up. So you have to traverse all of these sort of different psychological makeups and i just i just think show empathy at the end of the day if you know often you you have colleagues who are very different to you are but you still need to kind of have some empathy for the way that they are as people and the way that they work
0: yeah I i totally agree um no one leadership style essentially fits all does it so i think you've got to take the time out to get to know the individual what makes them tick and what works for them you've got to show that sort of flexibility and uh I suppose the next question that I'm going to ask is a little bit sort of a, an antithesis of that in the sense that, you know, we, we need to show flexibility in leadership. But if you were to describe sort of your own personal leadership style, let's say, Lee, how would you kind of describe yourself as a leader or would you say that you are sort of interchangeable in that way?
1: Well, so firstly, I am, I am quite hesitant to this, to uh, describe myself as a leader. I'm quite flattered by the, uh, by the description. But I mean... I feel I have an advantage in that. You know, I'm a middle-aged man and I'm not somebody that's just come out of college. So I've had 30 years of working around people. Um, So I think I have got that empathy, I think, as I've just said, but I think it's pretty crucial. Uh, I completely know that I'm not good at everything and that I need, you know, people around me who can do things uh, well that that I'm not very good at. Um, And I'm happy to take decisions. But I do prefer to always seek the counsel of at least one or two other people when I'm making really big, important decisions. So that's the kind of leader I would describe myself as if you see me as one.
0: Mm. certainly make sense uh, from my perspective and i think there's a lot that people can really take from that you know there's a lot of humility there in leadership maybe not necessarily wanting to be associated with the leader tag let's say straight away and that people can certainly really take a lot from that and um just before we we wrap up on the uh, the program lead today i mean i do want to talk a little bit about the uh, the future as well before uh, because um We are entering what is a difficult economic time at the moment. You could argue, of course, that we're already in one. Um, But as we sort of try to negotiate that and, you know, you're working with business leaders to sort of enable them to become better communicators, to become better speakers, I'd be interested just to understand what some of your priorities and your visions are for the the upcoming 12 months. And indeed, where do you see yourself being by this time next year when hopefully things are a little bit better? Yeah.
1: Do you mean myself personally or do you mean the the, the speaker's business or the expert impact as a whole
0: I, I would i would say as a whole i would say certainly um talk about it as as, as an from an individual perspective but also where uh, with regards to the uh, the businesses as well yeah
1: okay well so with regard to expert impact speakers i mean we are a, we're an early stage startup and early stage startups are bloody hard work for one <laughs> um uh, but what we've found in the time that we've been operating is that we have a foot in the market, which is great. People are responding to the brand and the marketing and the cons that we've done, which is great. The bookings are coming in, so we have a business. We've established a business. So the next stage for us really is to grow that business. Um, we have a five-year plan so that um, we still have a little bit of grant funding left from for the charity from the days where we were taking grant funding we've got a sort of five-year plan for the speakers agency to completely fund the charity sort of by by year five. So we're working towards that. Um For me personally, I mean, I've been a little out of my comfort zone. You know, as you said at the start of the conversation, I'm a storyteller. I have been a little out of my comfort zone for most of this year since we launched um, the speakers agency. It's been great for learning. You know, I have been writing about early stage businesses for many years and you know people told me the stories of it but i think it's only when you actually go and do it that you understand what a big challenge it is really so i'm learning a lot about myself um i'm learning a lot about business and um that is all mostly positive occasionally occasionally it's difficult to do it but mostly positive i would think in a year's time uh I mean, just for us to be more established, um to uh you know, just to be at the stage hopefully where we know there are fallow periods in a year, but we always know that over a year we will get a certain amount of business, then we can forecast a certain amount of business. Um and then ultimately for us to prosper because the more we prosper, the more impact the charity can make. So that's the really important bit, really. Um yeah, that's that's the really important bit. The more, you know, if we if we do really well, then the charity can continue to support more and more social entrepreneurs. We supported 110 last year, so I'd like to think in a year's time, uh, when the speaker's agency is more established, we'd be looking towards to 150 in the next year, and then on to 200 the year after that.
0: And like I say, hopefully we do see that significant growth that you're looking for and um, a real sort of uh, fulfillment of uh, those ambitions. And I'd relish the opportunity certainly maybe a year from now to uh, to welcome you back onto the show just to kind of see how things are all coming together for you. And uh, um, between now and then, sort of wish you all the best with the uh, the sort of building up of the, uh, the business. I'm sure there'll be some more lessons to be learned during that time and hopefully some real positive anecdotes to share along the way. Thank
1: you, Scott. I'd be happy come back and thank you very much for
0: having me on today. It's been a real pleasure and a real eye opener as well uh, from my perspective as well in sort of the journey that you've taken to sort of get to where you are today and the the vision that you have for building up your business and some of those challenges that there might be on the horizon and it's important as well that you know where there are the setbacks that we respond to them positively and we go in with that win or learn mentality it's a message that we really try and get across um, on this show and uh, through plenty of uh, sort of the content that we put together really and as I say Lee it would be my pleasure in future to welcome you back and I'm sure the listeners also share the sentiments that I have as well that it's been a very very good interview today and I've really really enjoyed it okay thank you Scott. fantastic and um, to everybody tuning into today's program I do hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed hearing from myself your host Scott Chaloner today and our guest from expert impact Lee Mannion and to everybody listening in until we're back next time with a whole new perspective on leadership and current affairs please do take care and goodbye